All right, we're going to get right into the Word of God, and we're in a series right now entitled Liar, Liar, and what this is about is uh, we're unmasking Satan's lies. Satan is a liar. That's what he is, and uh, he wants us uh, to believe lies. Now, the Bible says that he is a destroyer, and his weapons are his lies, and his target is our mind. And if we believe what he says to us and we start to live it out, then death and destruction is what results. And that's what happens. And so what we need to do is be aware of the lies and not buy into the lies, but rather get equipped in the truth. And so really what we're doing is telling the truth about Satan's lies. That's what we're doing over these few weeks. Now, uh, anybody got your Bible with you? I don't have mine. This is Anna's, and uh, she's let me. This is re- I, I can't. That doesn't even look like print to me. It doesn't even look like words. It just looks like a little. I can't believe people can actually read things like this. Um, but the first lie that Satan tells us, the first one that we looked at, was that you can't trust God's word. He wants us to believe that you don't need to build your life on the foundation of God's Word. That you don't need to put your faith in what God says. You can just live your own life, your own way, by your own standards. But the truth is, is that we need the truth. And this Word of God is what gives us solid foundation by which to live our lives. Because when we believe the lie of Satan that we don't need the Word of God, that's when our lives begin to fall apart. And so we need that. That was the first lie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Last week we talked about the lie where Satan says, you are not who God says you are. And that's the identity lie. Satan doesn't want you to know who God has made you to become in Christ. Now we were all born into this world sinners. And needed a savior. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says. Old things are passed away. Behold all things become new. Come on. Isn't that good news? So when the enemy tries to steal you of your true identity. All you have to do is kind of pull out your identity card. And say this is. This is who I am. I am who he says I am. I am not what I feel like. I am not what my mom and dad told me I was. I'm not what my ex told me I was. I am who Jesus says I am. Amen. And this is your identity card. Amen. Thank you, Anna. I just wanted to... But, oh, one more thing. Sorry. I just ripped the Bible from her. Not only is this the foundation of our life, not only is this our ID card, but this is our field manual for warfare. This tells us the rules of engagement. This is how we deal with the devil. So that's what I want to talk about. Thank you, Anna. Let's give Anna a hand for giving up her Bible. Lie number three. This is what we're going to talk about today. Satan will tell us, you're going to lose this battle. Satan wants us to believe that the battle we're facing right now, there's no hope of victory in this place. There's no way that we're going to get through this struggle in our life. That we're, he's got us right where he wants us. And we're never going to be able to break free. We're never going to be able to get out of this. And I just want to tell you today. I come to tell you today. That's a lie. Amen. And uh, we're going to look at this together. In fact I want you. If you have your Bibles you can turn there. The, the words will come on the screen. I want to read from uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware, lest you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there. Just not just once or twice. Let me just stop right there and explain a little bit. The, the king of Syria, the Syrians, were coming against the people of God, the, Israel, the Israelites. And the king of Syria had a plan. 
And unbeknownst to him, the man of God, the prophet, knew what he was up to and sent warning to the king of Israel. So the king of Israel listened to the warning and didn't go where the prophet said, you better not go there. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Then we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to him, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's telling the king of Israel what I'm going to do? Talking to his own people, right? He says, which of you are uh, double crossing me? And uh, so they said, uh, and one of his servants said, verse 12, one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. The prophet of God is telling him. We're not telling him anything. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant, the man of God, arose early, uh, when the servant of the man of God arose early, he went out there, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, "Alas, my master, what shall we do? Can you read that with me? Alas, my master, what shall we do? How, how many of you like talking in King James right there? <laughs> Alas, master, what are we going to do?" And, the, and Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the, mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike these people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And I want to stop right there. We'll pick up the rest of the story in a little bit. But Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word right now. And I just pray, God, that you would, by your grace, uh, give me the ability to share it. And I pray, Lord, that you would equip us all for the battles that we are all facing right now. Wherever we're, whatever struggles we're struggling with and battles we're fighting, I pray today, God, that you would give us revelation on how to fight it and to wage the good warfare in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. All right, this last October 7th, many of us are aware about the very evil and demonically driven Hamas regime that marched into Israel unannounced, totally unexpected, and just started killing people, shooting into crowds of people, killing uh, as they marched through the cities and through the streets and into subdivisions, killing nearly 14, around 1,400 people. They would, uh, they would behead uh, Israeli soldiers. They um, went into homes and they ripped Infants out of the arms of their mothers and fathers and killed them right in front of them. They raped women, beheaded men and children, left them in the street. This Hamas was a demonic move. It was, it was uh, death and destruction. And then what they did was they turned around and then they ran back into the Gaza Strip. They took shelter in their bunkers, miles of hidden tunnels. And these hideouts are really uh, a really insidious but strategic movement on their part because they build these bunkers and these miles of tunnels under mosques, around hospitals, and under schools so that they create a human shield for Israel to think twice about attacking them because they know that if you attack us, you're going to kill innocent lives. And it was strategic, and it was evil, and it was demonic. And this whole plot of Hamas was to intimidate Israel from striking back. 
And if they do, they're going to, obviously, innocent lives will be lost. But if they don't, Hamas will be strengthened again and will come back and do this again and again and again. But if Israel goes in and strikes back, as they have every right to do in protection of their nation, then the world will see the loss of innocent lives and come against Israel. And this is where we see the rise of anti-Semitism, thank you, where we see this rise right now, even in our own culture, sweeping over our nation, where we're coming against the Israelites, the Jews, for taking their stand as a people in their nation. And I see in this what we're seeing in real t- we're seeing in real time the kind of warfare that really all of us are facing in the demonic realm. Like Israel, the chosen people of God, those of us who have believed on Jesus are the chosen of God. And because we are chosen of God, Satan hates and harasses us every day of our lives. I don't know if you know this, but you're at war. You are facing battles ongoingly in your life. You're not just facing struggles in your life. You're not just facing random problems in your life. You need to understand something, that this comes from the demonic realm. Satan has come to destroy your life, and he comes in, and he creeps in, and he takes his shots because he wants to take you out. And he uses these problems in life and he uses these difficulties in life as a cover. And he sneaks in and he takes his shots and then he runs out. And all he's wanting to do is weaken your resolve and he's trying to break down your your confidence and your faith and to get you to believe this is just my lot in life and I just got to accept these problems and I hope that I just make it through. And I want you to know something today. God has come to give you the victory in your battles. He's come to give you the victory in your struggles. And Satan wants you to believe the lie that he's got you surrounded. And I believe that that was one of the words of the Spirit, that you feel surrounded by the darkness. And he wants you to believe that he's got you surrounded. He wants you to believe that it's over, but it's not over today. Amen. God has come to give you the victory. Now, if you're new here today, I yell a lot, but I'm not mad. I'm just yeller I don't know so Paul said in Ephesians 2 2 he said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air we know that the battles there are battles going on in the heavenly places with the forces of Satan coming against the forces of God and what they're trying to do is control events in history and uh, what's going on in the heavenly realms is impacting what happens on the earth. And this is not just happening at a macro level. In other words, it's not just national conflicts that we're we're seeing. It's not just, when you you and I hear of mass shootings and killings, and by the way, we we hear about those kinds of things because of 24 news cycle. But there's a lot more that goes on in the world Just as devastating as that. But we don't hear about it because it's not in our own backyard. But this isn't just, the enemy isn't just doing things on that level. Whatever takes place is really targeted right down to your level and my level. And trying to destroy our faith and rob us of our confidence and get us to buy into a defeat mindset. And so this is what, These battles are designed to do, to wreak havoc on our personal life experiences. So Satan sometimes will attack with such overwhelming force that we feel the threat of our safety. And we begin to hear the lies that it's over, that we're going to lose this battle. Like he's saying to us, I've got you surrounded. It's over for you. But we cannot buy into this lie that we're going to lose Because if we do, we accept defeat, and that's not an option. It's just not an option. So this brings us back to this story. I want to use 2 Kings, the story that we find here as a picture, and it gives us insight on how to wage the good warfare. How many of you want to fight the good fight of faith? 
in the times we're living in. Now you can believe the lie that you're going to lose. You're not going to win. You'll never get free of this addiction. You'll never get through this problem. Your marriage can't be saved. You're not going to see an increase in your life. You're not going to see a breakthrough. You can believe that lie, or you can step into the victory plan that God has for you. And we see right here in 2 Kings the strategy, I believe, to to be victorious. So to reject the lie of the enemy, first of all, we're going to have to, uh, and not lose, we're going to have to, first of all, walk closely with the Lord. This is really important. The story that we read here where the king of Syria was plotting and planning to attack Israel, but while he was making his plans, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to lie in wait for Israel and I'm going to destroy them. Every time he made a plan, the prophet of God got revelation of what he was doing and told the king of Israel, hey, the king of Syria is making a plan to beat you over here, so you better not go in that direction. And so the king over here didn't move in that direction. And and so Syria was waiting and nothing happened. And then they got so frustrated, like, who's telling, who's telling the enemy that I'm there? And they said, it's not us. It's this guy by the name of Elisha. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. And three times in this passage, they refer to Elisha as the man of God. Everybody say the man of God. He was a man of God. God's hand was on his life. And the reason why he was able to tip off the king is because the man of God was a man of God. He walked close to the Lord. He knew the Lord. He listened to the Lord. He paid attention to the Lord. And because he walked closely with the Lord, he was already aware of what the enemy was up to. And this is really important for you and I today. Because if we want a heads up on what's going on in our life and the attack that we are under and the strategies of the enemy to undo our lives and to overcome our lives, it would be really important for us not to get information after the fact, but to actually hear from God before the fact. Come on, church. Can I get a good amen out there? God is ready to show you things before they ever happen. But he needs some prophet-like people, men and women, who hear God. They walk close to the Lord. They stay in proximity and relationship with the Lord, like Elisha did. And because he was so close to God, and because he heard from God, he was ready for the strategies of the enemy. To destroy him. James said in the New Testament, draw near to the Lord, and the Lord will draw near to you. If you get close to God, God will make himself more real to you. The closer you walk with God, the more of God you feel, the more of God you hear, the more of God you know, the more of God gets into your life. If you stay close to the Lord, you'll be ready for what the enemy tries to do to destroy your life. The reason why Israel averted danger because there was a man who was close to the Lord. And the closer you get to God, the better off you are. It's not that the closer you get to God, the more saved you become. You're already saved. But the closer you walk with Him, the deeper your relationship the, the more real and serious you are about your walk with God, then God will make you more and more and more aware of what's going on. And I don't think we have to learn our problems. I don't think we have to learn our uh, truth the hard way. I think sometimes, how many of you would like to avert danger once in a while in your life? How many of you, we don't have to learn things the hard way. We can actually hear from God and get a heads up and go right around problems. Isn't that what Jesus was teaching us when he said, pray this way? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Stay close to God, and God will lead you right around those booby traps. Amen. Those devil traps. That's what we call them. Amen. So when we walk close to God, he makes us aware of the enemy's tactics. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Everybody say wiles. I like that word wiles. You know what it means? Literally, the Greek word means to lie in wait. That's what the devil is up to. He's always lying in wait. He's looking for a place to lie in wait for you, to overcome you, to conquer you. It's trickery. And we're not ignorant of his devices. We know what he's up to. And we can know what he's up to. And sometimes Satan will attack us with a sudden onslaught of trouble. Anybody ever wake up and there was trouble? Looking you right in the face? Well, you know where that comes from? The devil. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not the news cycle. It's Satan. The sudden trouble looking you right in the face. It's the enemy or an attack of danger or an attack of disease. We should not be caught unaware. These are the tactics. These are the wiles of the devil to destroy us. Amen. But God can make us aware. And this happens because he makes us attuned to his voice. When you walk close to the Lord, He not only makes you aware of the enemy's tactics, but He tunes you to His voice. How, how in the world did Elisha know what was going on? He wasn't in the bedroom of the king. He wasn't in the council room of the king of Syria. He wasn't there. He was back in Dothan. But how did he know what was going on? Because he heard God's voice. He heard God's voice. You can hear God's voice. That's what prophets are. They hear God's voice. And we are now in the New Testament, all of us in Christ are prophets, priests, and kings. All of us hear from God, prophets. We're all priests. We all worship God. And we are all a vital connection between God and humanity. And we are kings. We all have the authority of God. Whew, come on now. I'm starting to get excited. You are a prophet, a priest, and a king. Or queen, you know. You get, you get, my, you get my drift. But as a prophet, you hear God. You hear from God. And you're in tune with God. And you can know before things ever happen. Nope, I'm not going that way. I know what's coming. I feel it. Now, I know that we don't always get a heads up. But I think that there is more danger can be averted and more problems can be dealt with before we even get there if we'll listen to the Lord. The Bible said in Psalms 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Listen, are we going to believe that or not? Come on, are we going to believe it or not? We need to start believing what the scriptures say. God gives you a heads up. God gives you special insight. You're not going to lose this battle because the Lord speaks. And he shows you things. And he will show you his covenant. What is his covenant? It's his promise. He's good to his promise. He'll show you. He'll show you how to walk through according to his promise. Amen. So, to reject the lie, we need to walk closely with the Lord. Secondly, we need to reject the spirit of fear. So, when the king of Syria learned that it was Elisha, the prophet of God, the man of God, that it was his fault why his plans were falling through, he learned that he was in Dothan, and he said, 
he sent his horses and chariots to capture Elisha. And they went down and surrounded the little community of Dothan where the prophet was staying. And when the servant of the prophet came out, he saw the army of Syria surrounding them. And he was struck with fear. Remember? Alas, master. Alas, master. What are we going to do? And his heart was overcome by fear. And what was Elisha's response? Do not fear. You're kidding me, right? There's a massive army surrounding me. Us. You. Everybody in this community. Hamas is surrounding. What are we going to do? Do not fear. That's the first words out of his mouth. The first thing he says was, don't be afraid. This is not the end. And listen to what he said. Those who are with us, come on, are more than those who are against us. Sounds like greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, doesn't it sound like that? Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Woo, come on. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Reject the spirit of fear. Now listen, when we feel like we're going to lose this battle, we have two choices. We can either react with the perfect calm of Elisha or the panic of Elisha's servant. That's the only two choices there are. You either can stand in the peace of God, or you can panic. And here's where we lose our battles. We get fearful. And fear is a breeding ground of a lot of bad things. Fear paralyzes us, where we become immobile. And we don't do anything. We don't go anywhere. We, we don't move forward. Fear causes us to worry. And when we worry, we take our trust right out of the hands of God. And fear causes us to run away from our problems rather than running to the problem solver. When fear gets into our spirit, it can cause a lot of damage. And the prophet said to him, look at all that enemy surrounding us. Isn't it great? No, he didn't say that. But it was almost like, this is not a big deal. Do not be afraid. Come on, somebody say, this, ain't, this isn't a big deal. Say that. This isn't that big of a deal. We, you, know what, you know what makes it a big deal? You and I do. Amen. Is this okay? Are we getting anywhere today? Lie to me if you need to. You can either panic in fear, or you can just stand in the peace of God. There's no fear here. I don't need to be afraid. When I was in my early teenage years, I stupidly did something. I'm going to confess something here right now. I'm embarrassed that I'm going to say this to you. I watched the movie The Exorcist. That was the dumbest move I ever made in my life. I, I watched that movie, and for weeks, I couldn't even walk to my bedroom at night without looking over my shoulder, feeling like some green monster was going to leap out and devour me and choke me. It was the it was evil. Fear got it. Literally, what happened to me was fear got into my spirit. I got to tell you, I again, I'm I'm just going to talk. If it's okay, I'm going to be honest with you. But when I see things like I saw earlier this week with the mass shooting, yet again, you know, and I know, and it's over in Maine. It's not here. 
But somehow, when you listen to the news, kind of day after day, all of a sudden you can feel the spirit of fear kind of kind of get get in here. It, it starts, it's like a magnet. It's like sucks into your soul. And you start, oh, what's, what's going to, you know, what, what's, what are we going to do? The, this world is over. The, you know, how, how are we going to make, you know, does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? Now, if you don't have that problem, praise the Lord. But every once in a while, that, that gets on me. Because you start listening to it. And it starts, you start feeling the anxiety and the panic that comes from it. And it's a, this fear is a, it's a breeding ground for all kinds of problems. And what happens is, here's how fear is caused in us. The cause of fear is what I would call vain imagination. It's the vain imagination. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He said, here's what we need to do. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know what Elisha's servant was doing? He saw the army surrounding them and he could only imagine how awful this is going to turn out to be. This is not going to end well for us because he saw the army and his imaginations and his thoughts ran away with him. Come on now. And it's those imaginations in your mind with the problems and the struggles and the battles that you're facing that cause fear to grow. And Paul said, going back to this, he said, here's what you got to do you got to cast down that imagination. you got to take every thought captive. That's what that means. You take it captive. You say, nope, I am not going to believe this lie. I am not going to look at this problem and say, Master, what am I going to do? It's fear not. Amen cause of fear is a vain imagination but there's a cure too and the cure of fear is a vision into a different dimension here's what Elisha said to him do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them oh isn't that great Elisha tried to encourage his servant Listen, stop looking at the natural because there's a realm that you don't see with the natural eye that's got you covered. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. But you need to see what you don't see. There's a whole other dimension to this problem. I know what you feel. I know what things being said. I know what struggles you're dealing with. But you need to understand there's something else beyond what you see. And he said, there's, there's a dimension, there's a realm beyond this natural. And that's what you need to keep your eyes on. That's the cure. That vision into a different dimension is what destroys that vain imagination and takes it away that fear that things are going to things are going to undo us god is behind whatever surrounds us god is surrounding it amen and so if we're going to reject the lie of the enemy that we're going to lose this battle number 1 we need to walk closely with the lord number 2 we need to reject the spirit of fear And number three, we need to pray with power. We need to pray with power. So here's what Elisha did. When he said, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha, the Bible said in verse 17, it says, Elisha prayed. Would you say that with me? Elisha prayed. Now, I know we talk about prayer a lot around here, and that's not such a bad thing, right? Hello? 
Everybody awake out there? I don't think you can talk about prayer too much. You know, prayer is our vital link with God. It's our lifeline connection. It's our, if you will, our umbilical cord. It's what keeps us alive and keeps us fed and keeps us connected. So we need to be people of prayer every day of our lives, just covering our life, covering our thoughts, covering our words, covering our relationships, covering our children, covering our places of work. Has anybody here ever prayed for your boss? Try it. It might help. Amen. I didn't even look at you. <laughs> Try praying for your employees. No. <laughs> it works. No, I'm teasing. Prayer is important every day of our lives, but listen to me, especially in warfare. Can you imagine a battalion going into battle and not having an ability to communicate with headquarters? Can you imagine what it must be like to be cut off from information and from being able to call for backup? Well, in warfare, spiritual warfare, you have the ability to pray. And not only can you hear from God, but God will, it's kind of like, uh, prayer is kind of like our airstrike force. We do the praying, but God gives it pinpoint accuracy. And it begins to demolish the strongholds of the enemy where he's coming against you and setting up camp against your life and trying to destroy you. God, through your prayers, as you cry out to the Lord, it's like your prayers become missiles. Undoing the stronghold of the enemy. Just taking it out. Amen. And so, we need to be praying. When we're in a battle, we need to pray with power. Now, I want to say this. Pray with power. Can I just say this? Get some passion in your soul. Come on, stop yawning your way through your devotional time. Get a little impassioned about the life you're living. You don't have to yell like I'm doing right now, but, you know, with passion. Pray with power. Sometimes you talk to your children like this. Go clean your room. You don't go, oh, go clean your room if you want. You know. Sometimes you get a little impassioned about it, right? God! Amen. What does praying with power look like? Well, you remember in James chapter 5, verse 16, he Encouraged, James encouraged us to pray like Elijah prayed. Elijah was uh, the predecessor of Elisha. Elisha came under his ministry. But I think James could have said, pray like Elisha prayed as well. Because in this passage, we see something that happens that's so important through his prayer life. When Elisha prayed. When we pray like Elisha prayed, we are praying with power. And here's what happens. When we pray like that, that kind of prayer replaces fear with faith. When you and I will commit ourselves to crying out to God and depending on God and looking to the Lord to be our answer, the fear that we have in our heart then begins to get replaced with faith in God that there isn't anything too hard for God. When I watch the news or when I listen to the problems or when I'm walking through my own struggles in my life, I can get overwhelmed with fear and dismayed in my heart and discouraged about my life. But when I get on my knees or when I walk with the Lord and pray to Him and cry out to Him, suddenly the, the, the fear begins to get replaced with God is good. God has all power. God has all authority. God can do this. We've got to pray. If you've got fear in your heart right now, the answer is to cry 
out to the Lord. Amen. Last master, he said, what shall we do? See, here's the problem. When he said, when Elisha's servant said, what shall we do? That's part of our problem. What am I going to do about this battle, this struggle, this problem in my life? See, that's, that's our problem. Some of us are far too practical and not enough supernatural. Can I just say to you, I'm just going to come down here and spit and yell. Can I just tell you, you don't have the answers. Stop being so practical about your life, about the struggles that you're going through, and start crying out to God who has supernatural power to give you the ability beyond any practical answer. What shall we do? Well, here's what you do. You get yourself into deeper problems when you look to yourself to solve the problem or try to fight the battle in your own strength. That's the problem. You don't need to do anything. You need to, you need to cry out to God. You need to depend upon God because God is your only answer. Stop doing it. Nike says, just do it. God says, no, don't do it. (laughs) Save me the heartache. Let me do it. Amen. Let me do it. Many of us are way too practical. We need to be way more supernatural. And that's what prayer does. And I'm preaching to myself right now. Because we all know I can solve my own problems. So prayer, what prayer does is it replaces fear with faith in God. I love what Paul said in Ephesians. It's not going to come up on the screen. He said that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to think or ask. He is able. Come on, he is able. Say that with me. He is able. So prayer replaces fear with faith. Here's another thing about prayer. Prayer reveals the reality of God's presence in your problem. He said, Lord, I pray. Here's what Elisha said. Lord, I pray that you will open his eyes to see. And then Lord opened his eyes. He opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What he caused him to see was the army of God surrounding the army that was against them. That God was, listen, already there. He was already there in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the trial. He didn't say, God, save us, wipe this army out. He didn't pray that prayer. He said, God, let him see what's already going on that he doesn't see. I want to see God strike my enemies. Just wipe them out, God, so I don't have any problems, so I can just whistle through life. God's like, no, I want you to see in the middle of the warfare what I'm doing. I want you to see what I'm doing. Church, we don't need to always just kind of feel like we got no problems. Sometimes, Daniel preached about this a few weeks ago, sometimes God wants you to realize through the battle, through the warfare, that he's there. I don't remember exactly everything he said, but it was something along those lines. And that's what we see in this passage. He said, open his eyes to see. He prays for him to see what, that God's hand is already there. And I love the fact that they were chariots of fire. That's not just a movie that was made in Hollywood years ago. That's actually out of the Bible. They got that title from the Bible. And these chariots of fire indicate that God has way more firepower than the enemy has. And God is there. God is in the the midst of it. 
He's right there in your struggle and in your warfare. Amen. Well, this isn't the best message I've ever preached, but I, I sure needed it. Here's another thing that prayer does. Prayer releases an angelic force. The chariots of fire that were surrounding the Syrian army, they were angelic forces from heaven. What, what they saw was an angel force field dispatched on their behalf. Do you guys know that you have some pretty powerful allies. They're called angels. And they are ministers of fire, the Bible says. And when you and I pray, God dispatches his angelic hosts in our battles. I'm telling you, you're not going to lose. You can't lose. The only time you ever lose is if we don't stay close to the Lord, if we get wrapped up in a spirit of fear, if we would rather be practical than supernatural and not pray, those are the times that we lose battles. But if we'll pray, God releases an angelic force field on our behalf, and there is war that's going on in the heavenly realms. In fact, there was a battle about you before it ever got to you. There are things going on in unseen dimensions in the universe that you and I don't see, but it's trying to affect the events of history and not, like I said earlier, it's not just world events, it's your events and your life and your uh, marriage and your family and your problems. The enemy's trying to destroy you. I want to show you in Scripture how important it is that we understand that our prayers actually release the angel forces in heaven. Psalm 68 verse 17 says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Look at that. Thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. Psalms 91, verse 11, he says, For he, this is the Lord, for the Lord shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all his ways. Psalms 103, verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Would you say that last phrase with me? Heeding the voice of his word. Say that again with me. Heeding the voice of his word. Read some commentators on this passage talking about how that phrase, the voice of his word. How many of you know that God's word is living and active and powerful, right? God's word is powerful. And it's alive. But that, that phrase, that little word, voice of his word. God's word is power. It is alive. But the voice, heeding the voice. You say, well, that's the voice of God whenever God speaks. And I think that that's true. But some commentators believe that the voice is a reference to us. That when we pray in conjunction with the word of God, that angels hear, and God releases them. They hear our prayers in accordance to the Word of God. And that things happen. I want to tell you something. You, you think, oh, I don't know how to pray. My prayers bounce off the ceilings. You don't even know what's going on. Oh, God doesn't hear my prayers. I'm so weak. I, you know, I just, I yawn half the time. You don't even know how powerful your prayers are because it's not about you. It's about who you're calling out to. And it's about praying according to the promises of God and the word of God and the will of God. Amen. Prayer releases angelic forces. One, one more thing that, in fact, Katie, if you'd come. Prayer 
renews and revives our authority in Christ. When we pray, and I mean when we really pray, we can get stirred up in our heart. I love this. It says in, in the, we read it in verse 18, it says, so when the Syrians came down to capture Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And it says, the Lord struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha said, God blind. Isn't it interesting? He says about, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. God blind my enemy. Open my eyes to see what you're doing. God blind the effect of the enemy. Take away, take away his ability to maneuver in my life. So the enemy came, he was blinded. Long story short, Elisha leads them back to the city of Samaria and brings them to the king of Israel. And it's, a, it's a, such an interesting story because it actually takes a turn. It goes in an opposite direction that you and I would think. He takes him back to Samaria, and the king of Samaria says, what do you want me to do? Should I kill him? And he said, no, actually don't kill them. Feed them and send them home. And he did. And he let the Syrians go. And you know what the Bible says? They never came back. Isn't that interesting? Do you see what the power of doing warfare, walking close to the Lord, rejecting the spirit of fear, being a person of prayer? Do you see how things change? Things take a dramatic change. You don't even, it doesn't even happen the way you think it's going to happen. In my, if I would have written the story, I would have said, and the king of Israel wiped out the enemy. Chopped off all their heads. But no, you know what he did? He flipped the story. He flipped the script. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this problem. I'm gonna, you're going to show grace and mercy. And they're going to change. Woo, man. I want to tell you something. You're not going to lose. The enemy thinks, wants you to believe that you're going to lose, that your life is over, that you don't have a hope in the future. That's not the truth. Amen. Amen. 